I have written you quite often, boldly, on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus, to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus, in my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in the struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I think uh, being a mom is obviously one of the most important and maybe the toughest job in the world. It's amazing. Um, I know that moms are my heroes. My own mom, of course, she's died 10 years ago now, but raised six kids and didn't have a lot, but had put up with us, which is pretty amazing. And uh, um, I just think moms are the the greatest example probably we have on earth of sacrificial love and what it looks like, what Jesus did for us. So I hope it's a special day for you and you feel blessed and honored as a mom. One of the things that, obviously, if you're a mom who loves Jesus, one of your biggest concerns is that you're concerned about the spiritual life of your children. How do you help them grow spiritually? And in fact... To broaden it a bit beyond just moms, all of us, everyone sitting in this room, is called to influence others spiritually. It might be your children, it might be your parents, it might be a friend, it might be a growth group you're working with or a discipleship group or just someone you're meeting for coffee, a relative or whatever, but whoever you are in contact with, God wants to use you to grow that person spiritually, spiritually, to grow them in the Lord, to know and love Him more. But the question is, how do we do that? What tools has God given us to use to grow people spiritually? Well, I brought my toolbox here this morning, and uh, here's a tool. What do you think I'd use that for? Building, right? It's a hammer. Building a house. Um, you've got to use the right tools. And so if you're going to build a house, you use hammer, you use saw, you use a level, you use measuring tape, you use a whole variety of things. But this you'd use for something far different. It's a spatula. This you'd use for cooking. And for cooking, you use a pan, you use a stove, you use a variety of things. I like to cook, so uh, I use one of these fairly often. But... It, um, if you're going to cook, you're going to use the right tools. Now, you wouldn't want to use this to try to build a house, would you? 
You wouldn't. You wouldn't get very far uh, because it's not going to pound in a nail. It's not going to do much. So as you think about how do you grow someone spiritually, I think it's important we think about that we use the right tools to grow someone, whether it's in a Sunday school class, the kids that we're trying to love, like the videos we saw, or whether it's one of your own children, or whether it's a, a friend you're meeting for coffee, or whether you're trying to grow up your pastor, or whoever it might be, what tools are we supposed to use? I know early in my ministry, when I started out, I had the idea that if I could just create the right program that would be really attractive, I was working in a college ministry, and if I could just create the right Bible study, create the right program, create the right thing, that I could get everybody there, that people would grow spiritually if I could just get them into the program. In fact, at one point I made a sign and everything, and I thought, wow, I'm going to try to attract as many students as I can to come to this Bible study I was going to start, and I was spreading the word and made this sign, we're going to study Romans. To me, Romans is exciting. Two people came to my study. <laughs> but that was part of God's plan because the, the tools that he wants us to use aren't creating some big event, but they're the things that allow us to go deep in people's lives to change them. So it's important we think about what tools we are to use. So we don't use the wrong tools to grow people spiritually, but we use the right tools. Too often, I think we want to influence somebody spiritually, but it's easy to use something like pressure, coercion, guilt, those things, the tools we try to use to cause somebody to change or to grow. And, and if we really think about it, those don't work all that well. So what are the right tools? Well, I want to highlight four in our passage this morning that Paul uses that he describes to help people grow in Christ. The first one is the Spirit. The Spirit. Now, our passage today begins in verse 14, but I want to read verse 13 to set the context. Notice he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, Paul prays, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled up with knowledge, is one translation, complete in knowledge, and empowered or competent to instruct one another. So Paul tells them, and I'm intrigued by this, these people, you know, this is a church in Rome, he's never visited there, he knows a number of the people, we'll see that next week, and he really loves them and he cares for them, but he doesn't really know everybody there. He doesn't know the whole church. But he says, hey, I am absolutely convinced that you are full of goodness, filled up with knowledge, and empowered or competent to counsel one another, to encourage one another, to help each other grow. And I ask myself, how could Paul say that? You know, most of us don't feel that way, do we? I mean, we don't feel very filled up with goodness or filled up with knowledge or competent, empowered to really counsel other people. Why would Paul say that? I think the answer is back in verse 13 when he talks about being filled up with the Holy Spirit. You see, 
Paul believed something about them that I don't think they believe about themselves, that most of us don't believe about ourselves. But he sees beyond the superficial. And he points to the fact that if you have the Spirit of God in you, and every believer does, if you've given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit immediately came to dwell inside you. At that point, you had all the resources you need to live out the Christian life. Do you realize that? When you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you. You have God's life in you. You have all the resources you need to live out the Christian life. Now, it doesn't mean we know how to depend on the, Christian, on the Spirit all the time, and we need to grow in that and learn that. But that gives you a certain mentality. You see, you believe it's the Spirit in the person that's going to help them grow and be all that they're going to be, and He's already in them. They've already got all His resources. So think for a minute how that would affect that child, that friend, that Sunday school class or whomever that you are trying to minister to, how it would change your view of them. Instead of thinking, all right, well, here's this person, and yeah, they have a long ways to grow spiritually, so I've got to give them what they lack. I've got to fill in the empty places here because they lack a whole lot. And so you're trying to give them something they lack. That's very different than Paul's attitude here, which is you have everything you need. And my job is simply to encourage you to depend on the Spirit in you. You see, it's a much more encouraging place to come from, isn't it? You have everything you need. Now, let's walk together. I'll walk with you and let's learn to depend on the power of the Spirit in you. So our job, our tool for building people up is no longer to give people what they lack, but rather to help them discover the resources they already have. I'll tell you, this has really changed the way I work with people in counseling or discipleship. Uh, I, I no longer kind of try to figure out, okay, what, are they, what do I have that I can give them and what do they lack? Rather, it's, did you know God's in you, you're, the Spirit's in you, and let's learn together how to depend on that Spirit and help you release the life of Christ that's already in you. You have what you need, the goodness, the knowledge, the empowerment to encourage others. That's a whole different perspective. And that's the way God's called us to see one another. And then Paul goes on to give a whole other aspect of the Spirit. The Spirit's in them, but the Spirit is also in Him. Verse 17, 17 through 19, he says, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, In verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. What does Paul say is his empowerment, his resource to minister to other people? It's the Spirit of God. As he learns to depend on the Spirit and just let the Spirit flow, as he depends on the Spirit, trusts the Spirit to speak through him, to lead him in what to say to impact other people, then lives are changed. So you see how the Spirit is our primary tool for ministering to other people. That person that you want to love, is they, if they know Jesus Christ, they have the Spirit of God in them. 
and you have the Spirit in you, and so you trust in the Spirit to work in them, to give them what they need, to open their eyes to truth, to bring out the goodness and the knowledge that's already been planted in their hearts. That's the way, that's our primary tool, again, to minister to other people. He's the one who grows people up, not us. We don't, see, it takes the pressure off. I don't have to make something happen in that person's life. Rather, the Spirit will do it. And John 16, Jesus' words say that even if they're not a believer, the Spirit is at work in them. Remember that passage, John 16, where Jesus says, And the Spirit will convict the world, unbelievers, of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's the one that will bring them to a point of conviction where they can repent and come to Christ. So even ministering to unbelievers, we still depend on the Spirit to do His work in them. It's not up to us. It takes the pressure off us. So here at Cole, in our ministries, we try to live that out. You know how well we do that? Uh, You be the judge. But our attempt, what we're seeking to do, is really trust the Spirit to work in people's lives. So if there's a need, if there's a, a need to fill in in ministry, for example, we try not to pressure you by guilt. We simply make the need known and trust the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and lead you to a place of being called into that ministry, whatever it might be, rather than pressuring you or saying, if you don't do this, no one else will or whatever. It would be easy to fall into that and rely on other tools, pressure, guilt, whatever, to motivate you to be involved. But we try to say, no, we're going to trust God to provide the people. We talk around here at times about the new covenant. It's talked about in Scripture in a number of places. Jeremiah 31, 2 Corinthians 3, Jesus in Luke 22 where he establishes the Lord's Supper. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What is the new covenant? A covenant is an agreement, arrangement for living. And the new covenant is simply God's life in us, his spirit in us. So we want to encourage you to rely on the spirit in you as you minister to one another, as you minister to your children, to say, Lord, it's up to you to change them, not me. I don't need to pressure it. I don't need to make anything happen. I'm going to trust you to work through me by the power of your spirit. That's our first tool for growing people spiritually. Our second tool is truth. Paul goes on to say in verse 19, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the spirit, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. As you look at Paul's life, everywhere he went, he simply opened up the word and taught the truth. He opened up the gospel. He told people about Jesus. Paul had a belief in the power of the word to change lives. That it is a living word. That it is our tool to impact lives. It's the truth. You know, we go through life and and in our minds, the truth is distorted. We don't see the truth clearly because of our fallenness. And everything is distorted in the world. I remember as a kid going to the carnival And one of the things I remember going to is the Hall of Mirrors. Maybe you've been in one of those where you walk in 
you look at this mirror and you know you're about two feet tall and really fat. And you go in this one and you're really tall and skinny and, you know, it distorts how you really look. Is there truth there? Yeah, there's some truth, but it's distorted. And that's the way life is. As we look at life, we have a distorted picture of reality. But God has given us his word. God sent Jesus so that we could understand reality clearly, like looking in a mirror that's not distorted at all. That's the power of the word, and Paul believes that. He believes the word is powerful, it's true, it can change lives. He says that over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's man or woman. The man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped. You see, he believes fully that the word has power. It's a living word. The author to the Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It suggests there that we don't really know even our own hearts. We think we do, but we really don't. But the word actually penetrates and allows us to see who we really are. And as the Second Timothy passage says, the word has power to train us, to change us, to mold us, to make us adequate to handle life, to bring out the life of the spirit in us. So Paul has a passion wherever he goes to teach the word because it reveals reality as it really is, something we can't see anywhere else in life. So how do we use this tool to love one another and to encourage one another to grow? Well, we share the truth with others. We expose people to the Bible. We get them reading or studying the Word. We join together in small groups so that we might mutually grow in Christ. We seek to encourage one another from the Word. We memorize the Word. We trust God to use the Word to change others. A young man came into me and he was struggling and saying, you know, I'm just not sure about Christianity. I, I don't know if it's true. It's, uh, I'm getting exposed to a lot of other belief systems and I don't know how to think about it. And I said, just read the Gospels. Read about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read through it several times and just see what God does with that. And he came back to me months later and he said, I get it now. I get it. It makes sense. Because he understood who Jesus was, who Jesus really is for the first time. You see, the word is life-changing because it reveals reality. So that's why here at Cole, the elders have said, we want the word to be part of all that we do. In all our ministries, to as much as possible, we want the word to be taught. We want the word to be part of it. We want to get people in the Word because the Word of God has power. That's why we're committed at this church to do what you may have noticed we do in preaching on Sunday morning. We emphasize expository preaching, it's called. 
Expository just means exposing the word, opening it up. So we teach through books of the Bible, passage by passage by passage, because we believe the word has power to change lives. It's our tool to change lives. The third tool that Paul shows us, models for us in this passage, is relationship. Another tool we have for helping people grow spiritually is simply our relationship with them. Let me read some of these next few verses, starting in verse 23. Now that there's no more place for for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And then he talks about that he's bringing a gift to Jerusalem, a very practical gift of money to the poor because that's part of love. That's part of relationship, looking for practical needs to meet. And then down to verse 29, he says this, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. What's he saying there? I think what he's saying is when we can finally get together, I long to come to you, Romans. I I long to be with you so that we can be encouraged with one another. Because I know when we get together, we're going to experience a full measure of blessing. Because there's something about being together in Christ. You have a spirit in you. I have a spirit in me. Yeah, we're struggling. We don't have it together. But when we're together and learning to share our life in Christ together, spiritual growth happens. And that's why it's so important that we have relationships where we're learning to care for one another and walk with each other in our struggles in Christ and what we're going through in life. It's so important you learn to have deep relationships, and that's a big part of parenting. Loving your kids is simply build relationship with them and let the Spirit work through that. Paul reflects the same thing back in chapter 1 of Romans. In his introductory remarks, he says in chapter 1, verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Now, does that mean that He's going to give them the gift of wisdom or teaching. No, because he goes on to say what he means. The spiritual gift he's talking about is this. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Have you experienced that? Are you in relationship with other believers and you're encouraging each other in your walks with God? That's one of our greatest tools for ministry. So, That's why here at Cole, we we try to arrange ministries. We have programs, we have ministries, but we try to make them opportunities to build relationships, opportunities for deeper fellowship so that the life of Christ will be released in each of us so that we can grow together. I like the way Paul puts it over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where he says this, verse 14, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's a mystery, isn't it? 
if you're like me, you don't feel much like an aroma of Christ. In fact, a lot of times I think my flesh smells pretty bad. It's pretty stinky. But he says there's a mystery about us because you have the Spirit of God in you that as you rub shoulders with other people, you are a fragrance of Christ because simply because Christ is in you and your struggles and your weakness can't mar that fragrance. That fragrance continues to come forth simply because that's God's way of using you to impact other lives. So that's why relationship is important. As you get in relationship, you begin to smell the fragrance of Christ in one another and you release that fragrance so that lives can be changed. So what changes lives is not having the right organization or putting a lot of money into something or the right things. It's the quality of our relationships where we're learning to love one another. To be honest, that's why here at Cole, we put most of our money and most of our effort into people. That's why we have a lot of staff here at Cole. For a church our size, we have more pastors than most churches. Why? Because we invest, as you see, not in buildings. (laughs) This building's very functional. It works great for us. But we don't put a lot of money into it. We simply want to use it as a place where people can get together. And we have a lot of pastors because we want to free people up to build relationships and train leaders so that those leaders in the different ministries can build relationships and build people up because ministry is meant to be relational. That is God's design. So relationship is a wonderful tool we have to change lives. Simply loving one another, caring for one another, being in relationship with one another. And, of course, Jesus modeled that for us, didn't he? How did he go about impacting the world? He could have created some huge religion of some kind. But what did he do during his three years on earth? He could have gathered huge crowds around him. They wanted to make him king. He could have been a political leader. But instead he took 12 people, just like you and me, disciples, and for three years he invested his life in them. And they went out and invested their lives in others, built relationships with others, and who built relationships with others and others and others. And that's why you and I are here today, because of that tool of relationship that's been carried out through the years. The final tool I want to point out in this passage is prayer. Verse 30 through 33, notice how Paul pleads with the Romans to pray for him. I urge you, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul says, please pray for me and pray in really practical ways. Pray that I'll be delivered from the unbelievers, that they won't win. Pray that, pray that I'll be rescued. Pray that they, the Christians there would accept my gift for the poor, 
There was tension between the Gentiles and the Jews in Jerusalem. And he says, pray that we can be one, that they'll accept my gift and pray that I can come to you someday. It's interesting how God answered that prayer. He did. (laughs) They did accept the gift for the poor. God did rescue Paul. We're told in the book of Acts what happened, though. He was actually arrested. People tried to kill him. He ended up in jail for two years until finally he appealed to Caesar and ended up being taken as a prisoner to Rome. He finally got to go to the Roman church. God answered the prayer, but in a way that Paul hadn't foreseen, I'm sure. (laughs) Hadn't planned, but God did it. You see, God uses us to build others up spiritually as we pray. And in the beginning of the book, back in chapter 1, Paul prays for them. Here he asks for prayer from them for him. Back in chapter 1, he prays for them. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 1. God, whom I serve with my whole heart, in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. So prayer is a tool we have. It's a way of engaging God in building up one another spiritually. Now you may say, why should I pray? I mean, really, God already knows everything. He's sovereign. Why should I pray? He doesn't seem to answer my prayers anyway. Why should we pray? Or he answers them like he did for Paul, which was, yes, he answered him, but it wasn't easy. So why pray? Well, there's a lot of reasons to pray. Let me just highlight a few. For one, we live in this physical realm, and prayer allows us to enter the heavenly realm, to cross that barrier into eternity to enter the throne room of God and build a relationship with the living God who's invisible, who we can't see. Also, prayer allows us to join in God's working in the world as we pray for specific things. And some he answers the way we ask, some he doesn't, but we learn his mind and his heart that way as we pray. Prayer is also a way by which we learn our, to grow our faith, by trusting God, by giving everything to Him, by remembering who it is who really changes lives. Prayer is also a way to have our hearts changed. We need to have our hearts changed because, again, we see things in a distorted way, like those mirrors. And we need to have our minds and our hearts changed. But prayer allows us to align our will with God's. Even Jesus had to do that. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? This is what I want, God. I, I want this cup taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Prayer helps us align our will with him. And finally, prayer allows us to join in his work in other people's lives. It's how we love and support one another, and we're part of him growing other people spiritually. I don't know why God does that, but God often waits to grow someone else until somebody prays. He does that. He wants us to be participants in growing other people spiritually. There's a word he uses here, translated in verse 30, join with me in my struggle. How many of you find prayer a struggle? (laughs) Well, prayer is hard a lot of times. There's a lot of spiritual warfare. Satan would love to distract us from praying. But we get to join with other people 
in their struggles and their spiritual growth as we pray with them and pray for them. So when you pray for us here at Cole, for pastors, for elders, when you pray for those going to Guatemala or Indonesia, when you pray for our field staff or our missionaries, when you pray for your children, when you pray for a friend, you are joining with us, whoever you're praying for, in the spiritual battle, and you're helping true spiritual growth to occur. You see, prayer is a primary way. God wants us to join with others in spiritual growth and in spiritual warfare. So how can we help someone grow spiritually? No matter who it is. Well, here's four primary ways we can do that, whether they're children, a friend, Sunday school class, Bible study, etc. Using these tools of the Spirit, the Spirit in one another, in building relationship, in just exposing people to the truth and in praying for one another. These are the spiritual tools that release the power of God to help that person grow. And we get to be part of it. Isn't that great? What a, what a privilege. Just in closing, I want to show you a page from our website. I don't know how many of you have been to our website, colecommunity.org, but... There's a page here from our vision page. And um, I encourage you to go. There's lots of great information. We're updating the website regularly. It's becoming more of our regular ways of communicating. And if you click on a link, you end up on this vision or mission page. And then as you scroll up, then you come to our core convictions. The elders spent quite a bit of time studying through and saying, How do we think God's called us at this church to do ministry? How does God want us to be involved in growing people spiritually? We believe God's called us to make disciples, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to grow you up. What are our tools for doing that? I just want to highlight how well they fit the passage we've just looked at. You may not be able to read it. It's kind of dim. But the first one is teaching. We open up the Word, and we want that to be part of all our ministries. Prayer. We believe prayer releases the power of God to grow people spiritually. Relational. We believe all our ministries should focus on relationships so that as we get together, the Spirit allows us to encourage each other in our walks with God. Four is outward-focused. I could have focused on that in this passage. Paul's clearly outward-focused. We want all our ministries or a number of our ministries to be focused on reaching out into the community, not just for us, not just to grow coal, but to grow the kingdom of God wherever God places you, in your jobs, in your families. Ministry by the saints is number five. Paul talks about that elsewhere where you are the pastors, not just us. God's equipped you to minister. New covenant base, that's the life of the Spirit releasing the life of the Spirit, and then finally reaching the lost. We want to reach those who don't know him with the gospel, and you see that in this passage as well. But I just wanted to highlight four, the four we talked about today. No matter who you are, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're a friend, whether you're a leader of some kind, or just an encourager of someone else, God wants to use you to build others spiritually. And how do we do that? Ultimately, through the power of God, working through his word, working through his spirit in you, 
working through relationship, and working through prayer. And the great privilege is that you and I, each one of us gets to be part of that. Isn't that marvelous? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you want to use us to build the kingdom of God, to change people spiritually, to grow them up spiritually. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us use these tools to focus on your truth and your spirit and what you are doing through prayer, building a relationship of love with others, and then trusting you to change people's lives. Thank you for the freedom that gives us. It takes the pressure off. And thank you that it allows us to just know that you are the one who is going to work. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.